invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus replied, why do you call me good? No one is good except the one God. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Then the ruler said, I've kept all of these things since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said, there's one more thing. Sell everything you own and distribute the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When he heard these words, the man became sad because he was extremely rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, it's very hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom. It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. Those who heard this said, then who can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible for humans is possible for God. Peter said, look, we left everything we own and follow you. Jesus said to them, I assure you that anyone who has left house, husband, wife, brothers, sisters, parents, or children because of God's kingdom will receive many times more in this age and eternal life in the coming age. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. Good morning. It's good to be here with you all this morning as we are journeying through the season of Lent together and as we are setting our faces towards Jerusalem. As Jesus himself did in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. In this season of Lent, we've been looking at different passages of Scripture from Luke's Gospel. We've stayed in Luke's Gospel, and as we've done so, we've seen time and time again how the words of God that were delivered to Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration are words that have continued through Luke's gospel because we remember when Peter wanted to build these tabernacles or shrines or tents, whatever it was there on the mountain, instead of being allowed to do that, God said, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And so our passages of scripture each week have helped us to step back and to choose or to be reminded how you and I listen to God or listen to Jesus Christ. Because it's when we listen to Jesus and when we find ourselves listening to Jesus that we grow closer to Him and we grow closer and greater in our ability to do and accomplish His will for us and for our lives. And so as we've read passages from Luke, we've seen Jesus interact with people that were considered saints and sinners, legal experts, Pharisees, tax collectors, Jesus' opponents, as well as his followers, and also his disciples. In each passage, we've heard the word of God through his son, Jesus Christ, and this morning's scripture is no different. But before I begin, I want to start by inviting all of you to think of your favorite scripture. It doesn't matter whether it's from the Old Testament or the New Testament. It doesn't matter if it's from a gospel or the book of Psalms. It could be Jeremiah 29.11 or Joshua 1.7 or Psalm 23 or John 3.16 or a passage from Philippians, whatever it is. Just take a moment and think what is your favorite scripture this morning and what makes it your favorite. Is it the promise? Is it the ability of that scripture to uh, reassure you and to offer you hope when you face challenges? We can all have our own favorite, and that's okay. But this morning, I want to invite you to just think of that. I want to shift gears a little bit now and ask you to think about your least favorite scripture in the Bible. 
Can anyone identify your least favorite scripture? How many of us can really say that? And then provide an answer. I'll confess as I worked on this sermon and thought about my favorite and my least, I couldn't think of one that I could say if I didn't have to ever read whatever scripture again, I'd be okay. Now I can tell you the parts that I don't like reading as much. As I've shared with you before, Katie and I have done a year through the Bible, I guess a couple times, right? Uh, uh, A reading plan on our phones and I'll be honest with you, and I think it's easy for me to say this right now because we're in the middle of it, but my least favorite part of reading the Bible is reading through the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Proverbs. Now, I'm not saying that I don't think there's value in what we read in those books of the Bible. I don't think, I mean, I enjoy reading them when I read a Psalm. But when you line up and when you open your app and there's nine to read in one day, it gets a little overwhelming. Same with Ecclesiastes, same with Proverbs, and definitely the same with Job. On each of them, I enjoy, I like, they they speak to me. They're good, you should read them. It's just reading them, you know, chapter after chapter, day after day. And maybe what we can do, and when we think of, of the passages of Scripture that are our least favorite, I think maybe instead of identifying a Scripture, maybe what we can say is our least favorites are the ones that challenge us. Or maybe the ones that make us feel uncomfortable because they convict our, our, our actions or they challenge our beliefs or they call us to do more or to live differently. And that's probably today's scripture from Jesus's words to the disciples in the gospel of Luke chapter 18. This scripture is one of those that makes us uncomfortable and challenges how we act and how we live. It's probably one of the least liked passages of scripture from the Gospel of Luke or maybe all of the Gospels because our scripture is found immediately after Jesus has had to confront and correct the disciples. I didn't read it, but you can go read it if you'd like. The beginning of Luke chapter 18 actually starts with with people bringing their children to Jesus. And you all have read this story before, but if you'll remember, the disciples went to these people and said, whoa, whoa, only adults come to Jesus. Don't waste his time. I don't know if they said it in that exact phrase, but it was pretty close. And so Jesus, if you'll remember, tells them, no, let the children come to me. And then he says, if we could only all have faith in God in the same way like a child or have faith like a child when we worship God and turn to him. And so as Jesus and the disciples are walking, the scripture continues. Luke writes that a rich young man or a young ruler sought out Jesus and fell to his knees in front of him. Luke doesn't specify to us what kind of ruler he is. So he could have been a Pharisee. Although I would would make the assumption that if it was a Pharisee that was coming to Jesus, Luke would have made a point to write that it was a Pharisee. So in all likelihood, it's a young man, maybe he's he's more a secular ruler, a leader in the community of some type, and he approaches Jesus and he falls to his knees and he greets him by saying, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers him by asking him, what do you mean by good? Because only God is truly good. 
He wants to know what the young man believes about him, what the young man has heard about him, what the young man thinks about him. And so what Jesus is doing is questioning him and testing him to see what he truly believes because Jesus wants to hear more. I think what he wants to find out is does Jesus think of him as a good or does he think of Jesus as a good teacher? As one who's offering good advice that help other, helps others to learn and to grow and, and to make good decisions? Or Jesus wants to know if this young man has taken the next step in following him. And calling Jesus good because he believes that he is divine or he believes that he is God. That he is the word made flesh that we read in the Gospel of John chapter 1. That he is the Messiah. I think what Jesus is wanting to see is what level of faith or what depth of faith this young man has in him because if he really believes in jesus and who he is then his life can change if not i think jesus is is wanting to see so that you know the young man's just going to listen to his teachings and consider them as good advice or something to aspire to without really changing a thing well this is the first thing i think we could take from this scripture And it's the question that we read time and time again in the Gospels where Jesus uh, places everyone in a position where we have to answer, why do you say I'm good to Jesus? For the young ruler, he's saying, do you really believe who I am? For him, it was phrased a little bit differently, but for all of us, it's the same question. It's the same question we read when when Jesus took the the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, the region north of of the Sea of Galilee, where uh, pagan worship was conducted, and he said, what are the crowds saying about me? What are people talking, what are they saying when they talk about me? Who do they believe I am? And then he says, who do you believe I am to the disciples? And you remember Peter says, well, you're the son of God. And see, the young ruler came to Jesus not to answer questions of his own, didn't he? How often do we ask questions like that? (laughs) We want an answer to a question we're posing, but we're really not wanting to have to answer questions ourselves. But this young man basically is saying, what does it take to live a God-shaped life? See, he doesn't get it. That in Jesus Christ, God is already present He doesn't realize that Jesus is more than a good teacher, that Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't realize that when Jesus is answering him by listing commandments, that Jesus is testing him. Because my guess is when Jesus listed the commandments, the young man thought, I haven't made, I haven't done any of these things. I haven't violated commandments. I've honored my father and mother. I've been faithful in my relationships. I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. He assumed that being right before the eyes of God was already manifest because of his wealth and because of what he had been doing. But Jesus had other ideas. Because he had another idea of what it meant to be faithful. When he connected the evidence of faithfulness not with personal accomplishment and not with blessing, but instead with how this young man was a neighbor to others. And so when he tells them to leave everything and follow him, What he's really saying is, does your love for God cause you to love selflessly those around you? Does your love of God cause you to live selflessly for those around you? And then how do you show that love to other people? Really, it's how do you show that love to God, isn't it? 
And Luke writes that after he heard this invitation, this young man became very sad. Because the love that Jesus is inviting him to be a part of is a different love that's measured differently than the faith that he has grown up in, the faith that has been taught him by his fathers, a faith that is controlled and is measurable. Friends, the invitation that Jesus extends is an invitation to be part of of a reckless love of God that is so different, a holy love. And the young man walked away because his first love was put to the test. He would rather walk away from Jesus than walk away from everything else that the world told him was important. And so as the young man walked away, Jesus offers this one image that I think is probably one of the most comical images in the Bible of, of indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is uh, rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, without getting distracted on camels, whether it's the one hump or the two hump variety, on needles and whether or not the gate was narrow in Jerusalem that he was talking about. What he's doing is he's getting us to think about salvation. Is basically what Jesus is saying is that it's not by physical wealth, it's not by the things that we do, it's not by the way that you and I are able to check off the list of what we have accomplished in our spiritual walk and in our faith that you and I achieve eternal life. It's through the change that happens in our hearts. And so he presents that real outlandish image to get people thinking, but also for us to realize that where God measures us is where our first love is. And where he invites us to make him first and to make everything else second. Because when we make him first, every other aspect of our life is changed. Our relationships, the way we view our world and our spirits. Because the way that we achieve, the way that we obtain, is not by physical things, but it's by how and why we prioritize Christ in our life. And so this morning we're going to receive a gift that God offers us. The gift of Holy Communion, a way that you and I are able to experience the grace and mercy of God and and, uh, the way that, that He pours into us out of His love for us.